Hello, and welcome to A History of Japan. Season 1, Episode 4. Meanwhile, in China and Korea. You're probably thinking, wait, China and Korea? I thought this was the history of Japan. Rest assured, you did not accidentally stumble upon the wrong podcast. One of the stated missions of this particular project is to help raise awareness of East Asian history in general, and there's no way to do that without at least a little bit of knowledge about China and Korea. As we work our way through Japanese history, we will return to China and Korea periodically, especially when they go through big changes, which the Japanese would have been aware of, and when their history directly intersects with that of Japan. I promise not to get bogged down in the various developments of those places, unless absolutely necessary. Sound fair? Good. Like Japan, and like pretty much every other place on Earth, China and Korea were first inhabited by nomadic bands of, you guessed it, hunter-gatherers. There is evidence that humans first lived in China around 120,000 years ago, in Korea around 40,000 years ago. Like the Ainu and Jomon people, the early semi-sedentary cultures in China settled near bodies of water, specifically the Yangtze and Yellow Rivers. The Yangtze River, it should be noted, is the third longest river in the world and the longest river in all of Asia by far. It flows from Tibet along a winding path in an easterly direction until finally arriving at the East China Sea. We refer to the peoples who lived along that winding path as the Yangtze civilization, but it was home to many distinct prehistoric cultures. In Korea as well, the rivers represented coveted real estate for prehistoric hunter-gatherers. Paleolithic Korea was rich with animal life, including many species of bear, deer, and hyenas. Around 8000 BCE, the glaciers were rapidly melting, and game animals, as well as competing predators, both started going extinct, leading many cultures to make the practical move to the coast, where abundant populations of shellfish waited to be harvested. In 8000 BCE in China, we have evidence of the first known rice cultivation. This was likely not full-scale agriculture, but plant husbandry similar to that which we discussed in episode 1. However, a thousand years later, in 7000 BCE, we find evidence of millet being grown on an agricultural scale. Millet is a hardy and very sensible plant for the beginnings of eastern agriculture. It produces edible grains very quickly, needs little human intervention to survive, and easily weathers drought and high temperatures. A people group we refer to as the Jiahu culture are credited with the earliest millet agriculture, which they soon followed up by cultivating rice on a massive scale, setting aside large tracts of land purely for the purposes of efficiently growing food. As the years rolled on, the Jiahu got better and better at agriculture. 
They also continued hunting wild animals in their area, as well as catching carp and herring in the Yangtze, and gathering fruit from wild apricot, peach, and pear trees, as well as a wide variety of nuts. Their population exploded from the abundance of food, and the variation within their diet meant a reduction in infant mortality, longer lives for their people on average, and greater cultural development overall. The Jiahu crafted elegantly decorated pottery, played flutes made from the bones of red-crowned cranes, and even created a wide array of pictograms, which some believe were the basis for later Chinese kanji. All good things must come to an end, however, and after 1,300 years of relative prosperity and happiness, the region where the Jiahu lived suffered a massive flood, with most of their villages plunged into knee-deep water. Because there are very few tools discovered within the remains of these homes, it is believed that they successfully evacuated and took most of their stuff with them. They may have sought shelter with neighboring peoples and gradually assimilated, or perhaps there are still more yet-to-be-discovered Jiahu sites that will date to this period. The Jiahu had a good run. 1,300 years is nothing to sneeze at. And even if they are lost to the winds of history at this point, their legacy would revolutionize human organization for millennia to come, and continues to influence human organization today. The Jiahu's neighbors also began cultivating rice and millet in large amounts, and enjoyed similar levels of prosperity. While I can't vouch for the actual happiness of the villagers or their level of personal freedoms, their skeletons tell a story over time of people who, at the very least, were well-fed, healthy, and lived on average longer lives than the people who came before them. Wet rice agriculture wouldn't come to Korea for several thousand years yet. Around 8000 BCE on the Korean peninsula, we find only the remains of, you guessed it, pottery. First came the Jewel Moon period, stretching from 8000 to 1500 BCE. Julmun pottery and culture shared many similarities with Jomon, and yes, the words are connected. While Jomon means rope-marked in Japanese, Julmun means comb-patterned in Korean. Where the Jomon people used cords and ropes to create their designs, the Julmun used comb-like tool to create line patterns. The shape, size, and usage of their ceramic vessels corresponds roughly with that of the Jomon, starting small, getting big, then getting decorative, although I have yet to see Jomon pottery with the same over-decorated flair that we see on later Jomon pieces. The last 500 years of the Jomon period, that is, from 2000 to 1500 BCE, were difficult for its people. The shellfish, which had once been so plentiful were being overexploited, and were no longer a viable option for supporting the population. So they moved inland, settling in places where they could practice what is called shifting cultivation. In modern times, we refer to this as slash and burn. The farmers would cut down an area of forest, burn the trees and shrubs on top of their recently cleared area, then sow crop seeds. This style of farming is short-lived, however, as the native plants gradually begin reclaiming the cleared, burned area over the course of a few years. 
the ancient residents of Korea would get a few years of crops from the land, then abandon that patch and clear another area of forest, starting the cycle over again. It's not pretty, but it does work. As large-scale agriculture spread across China, eventually we see the first large polities emerge. The earliest state in China, according to tradition, was the Xia dynasty. This is potentially just a legendary kingdom, but this Bronze Age power was said to have arisen around 2070 BCE and lasted until 1600 BCE when it was overthrown by Tang, the founder of the Shang dynasty. These were both located in northern China, and their power was connected to the Yellow River, which their people relied on both as a source of fresh water and for irrigation. The Shang dynasty ruled from 1600 to 1046 BCE, and their power structure would prove very influential. From recovered items called oracle bones, historians have inferred that the Shang dynasty era Chinese had already adopted ancestor worship. As their own society was hierarchical, so they believed that the afterlife had a similar hierarchy and believed in a supreme deity among many deities called Di. Because the king's ancestors were so important in their mortal lives, they acted as a kind of advisors to this king god, and the Shang monarch would pray to his ancestors for the prosperity of the people, and they would pass that message along to Di. This arrangement would be copied and mimicked by powerful rulers throughout East Asia for many thousands of years after the Shang dynasty's collapse. In 1046 BCE, the Shang were overthrown and replaced by the Zhou dynasty. We will talk more about the Zhou dynasty next season, but rest assured that they are very important. For now, let's just say that over time, people became less and less convinced that the Shang monarch's ancestors were listening. I guess you might say that heaven had a new mandate for the Chinese. I, I promise that joke will make sense next season. Supposedly, a monarchical dynasty was founded in Korea in 2033 BCE, but this date is widely understood to be mythological. The dynasty referred to itself as Joseon, but we know it as Gojoseon, which means early Joseon. There's another Joseon dynasty that emerges later, so they renamed the original to prevent confusion. What we do know for sure is that 1500 BCE is the beginning of the Mumun period, which meant that most people had moved inland by then and were engaging in the slash and burn shifting cultivation, which helped them to stay fed. Funeral customs begin to change in this period, with the loved ones of a deceased person marking their graves with a stone or even building massive rock tombs. However, the entire Mumun period stretches beyond the current time frame of our narrative. In 1000 BCE, things were about to radically change for the Jomon people in Japan as a result of visitors who would arrive from Korea.